Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Join us every weekday at midnight for the live prayer hour on the Bible In-Depth Network prayer room. Please join in via radio or through our app and seek the Lord. He will answer your prayer. Welcome to our Through the Bible study here on Bible In-Depth Network with Alex. In our study, we look at the context of Scripture and how it applies to our daily lives. We also believe that there's no limitation to the revelation of the word God. Let's study together today. Yes, praise be to God. I hope you're safe. I hope the Lord has kept you safe and sound. This is a day that the Lord has met. We shall rejoice and we shall be glad. Amen. Thank you for taking time to join us for our time of the study of the word of God. And here we believe that the Lord reveals His Word to everybody because there is no limitation to the revelation of the Word of God. God will reveal His Word to you if you want Him to speak to you. Indeed, He will come and speak to you. So even as we study, we open our hearts and we let God speak to us. Now, we are handling the book of Matthew and uh, I want us to continue today. We stopped on chapter 5 verse 12. Today we want to start with verse 13. And it starts by saying, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty? Again, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Jesus here makes a big statement that we ought to understand. He calls us the salt of the earth. He's talking to the disciples, by the way. He's not saying that everybody is the salt of the earth. No. He's being specific to the disciples. And he's saying, you are the salt of the earth. If I say that I'm a disciple of Christ, then this does apply to me, that I am the salt of the earth. So Jesus here is talking to his disciples, and he's giving them a message that is very important that you are the salt of the earth. And to me, right now, in this day and age, I am also being talked to that I am the salt of the earth. And to get into the context of what he's implying here, when they were referring to salt, you would either talk about it as a, a preservative, yeah, something that helps to preserve food or preserve uh, uh vegetables, whatever it is that preservation is required of, salt would serve that purpose. But also, it would serve the food. It will add flavor to the food. Yeah, If you get food and you eat it without salt, you, you clearly know that it does not um, work well. Yeah, It is not of interest to you when the food has no salt. So the food added salt, with, with salt added to it, will give the food test. yeah. Salt will give the food test. And what Jesus is saying here, by saying you are the salt of the earth, he's saying it's you who adds test to this earth. It's you who uh, gives the server to the earth that you're in. It's you who brings the value to this earth. It is you 
who makes things happen here on the earth. And he's clearly telling the disciples here, yeah, telling them that you are the salt of the earth. It's you who adds value. It's you who adds the flavor. Me as a believer, me as a disciple, I am the one who should bring hope to the world. And this is a very big task that Jesus sets for us as his followers, as his disciples, saying that we should be adding the flavor to this world. Where things are messed up, it is you, the Christian, it is you, the disciple of Christ, that is supposed to bring the hope, the joy, the peace. It is me who's supposed to bring the hope in this world. It's me who's supposed to bring the hope in my workplace. I'm the one supposed to bring the hope in my school, in my community, because I am the salt. Without me, they're useless. They're testless. Without me, the earth has no value in it. Without me, it does not profit for them. But if we pose this question to ourselves, is it applying to us? Are we indeed adding flavor to this world? Are we bringing it to test? Because we as disciples, we as believers, we as Christians, that is the task we have. But are we bringing that to pass? Am I bringing it to pass? That's a question that goes to us all. That in my workplace, do I bring the sanity? All I have lost my saltiness. And when he uses this analogy of salt losing, this saltiness, this is the implication that a Christian must not lose that part that makes you distinctive. You are supposed to always remain with it because when you've lost your saltiness means you are no longer of value. You you cannot be differentiated. There's that, that distinctive nature about you that is lost. And it's unfortunate with all the things we go through in this world, with all the the challenges that we go through in this world, with all the persecution, we looked at persecution last time, that we go through in this world, we start to find options. We start to become mediocre. We start to get lukewarm. We start to feel, okay, I can uh, uh, be a little cooler. Hmm? I, if, I, if I'm too uh, spiritual, my friends will reject me. If I am too serious about the things of God, then people will reject me. Then they will uh, categorize me in a certain way. Then we are starting to lose that saltiness because that salt is what makes you distinctive. When you can sit at a table and make a decision and say, I will not do that. I will not take that bribe. I will stand because you have to be distinctive. That is a salt. That's a flavor. A world that has no flavor is not one worth living in. And we as believers, we as disciples of Christ are supposed to bring that flavor. Because if a place has lost all godliness in it, it is only ripe for judgment and perishing. And that is what we see with Sodom and Gomorrah. The moment they lose the saltiness in it, yeah, it becomes useless. Set for judgment. Now, for us, as believers, as Christians, we hold the world together. That prayer that you send as a Christian on a daily, that fellowship that you hold as a Christian on a daily, helps to 
bring the sanity. It helps to create the distinction that the salt does. When a believer is losing saltiness, it implies that they are no longer distinctive. They cannot separate you from the people of the world. You cannot, when it comes to speech, you speak the same way. You produce the vulgar words like they do. That distinctiveness that is required of me as the salt of the earth is very, very important. And it's key for for us to get back and reflect. Are we still the salt? Or Or we have lost that saltiness. Are you still the salt in your place of work? Do they still call you a believer? Or you're now part of them. You came when they are calling you a pastor. But now what do they call you? You came when they are, they are saying that one is spiritual. They will not go for these night parties that we go for at work. Now, are you part of them? You lose the saltiness. And when you've lost the saltiness, you are no longer distinctive. There is no difference between you and the people of the world. And how can salt lose its saltiness? Yeah, of course, uh, people say if you uh, store it badly, yeah, and the storage has not been good, it can react chemically and it will not be salt anymore. But uh, there are also some chemicals that can contaminate the salt, yeah, and eventually uh, it would attract moisture and lose its saltiness and it will, it will become poor quality or not even uh, serve well. That's what has been uh, talked of and researched about salt losing its saltiness. But the fact that Christ comes out here and says, can it be salty again? Can you get something that has lost its saltiness, specifically salt and make it salty again? That distinctiveness, yeah? He says it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. The moment this saltiness dies, getting it back is hard. It is very hard for you. And we read that in Hebrews. It is very hard for you. After you've walked with the Lord, after you've tested the spiritual gift, that when you fall, to return. And that's why we have to be very cautious and careful that we do not fall. That we do not lose that saltiness. Because the moment it's all gone, then how do you get it back? How do you get it back? We we were not given an answer here that can it be made salty again? No, it stayed as a question. And we didn't get an answer. But if there is still some bit of salt in you, then it's key for you to know that you have to keep that and improve it and make sure that there is nothing that comes in to take away that saltiness. Because the moment it's gone, then bringing it back gets very, very difficult. And Christ here is telling his people, he's telling his disciples and saying, if you've lost that distinctiveness, if you have lost that saltiness, you'll just be thrown out and you'll be trampled under foot by man. He's practically saying, the moment it's gone, it's gone. You will not be of value anymore. You will not be of use anymore. And may God help us, may God give us the grace that we maintain that distinctive nature that we have as disciples influencing this earth. Verse 14, he heads out and says, you are the light of the world. He's now giving the disciples what they are. First, he has told them you are the salt of the earth. You bring flavor to it, to this earth. 
Now he tells us, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and gives it, it gives light to all who are in the house. He's practically giving you the, the other picture that you are the light of the world. You as a believer, you are the person who is supposed to go and light up places. I'm not talking about lighting up that you've gone and created all the, uh, the excitement in the place and the place has vibe in it and they are all excited and jumping. No, you are the light. You bring the light. You know there is light and darkness and we know the world of darkness. Yeah, We know what it's filled with, with the sin, with the evil, with the iniquity that is filled in darkness. And what they are saying here is for you, you come and bring the good. You replace the evil with good. Yeah? You, you, you replace the sin with righteousness. It is you who comes to the world and bring that light and shine that light unto men that they may see. In a place that has been filled with darkness, when a Christian comes, they bring light to that place. They bring hope to that place. And that's what Jesus practically is talking about here. And he says, you are the light of the world. And for you who's listening to me today, you are the light of that business. You are the light of that company. You are the light of your community. As they're doing everything, you are the light of that family. Even uh, as, as things don't appear like it's a Christian family that is walking under the precepts of God, you are the light. When you get there in those family meetings, you speak Christ because you are the light. You bring the sanity to that place. You are the light. Where darkness has been abiding, you as a Christian, you as a believer, you come and bring light to that place. And Christ here says that a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Everybody shall see that you are the light. They will talk about you in such a fashion, in such a manner and say, no, that one does not agree. There are some things that you do not tell that guy and they accept because for them they live a spiritual life they live a godly life and it may not go well with them but it should be known because a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden you cannot hide your christianity you cannot hide your beliefs you cannot say that me i'm a christian inside people may not know but i'm a christian no it's got to be seen because you are the light you show it you speak and people know and they know that that is a Christian because you cannot hide that spirituality. You cannot hide that which God demands of you. You cannot put it under a basket. Yeah, Everybody should see. Everybody should know that you're a believer. Everybody should know. And that will be seen by your works. Of course, even by your speech. But by your works, they will see and know that the way we see this person living, they must be a Christian. I've, has anyone ever found you and told you, 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 you look to be a Christian? You look to be a believer? Yeah? Do people tell that to you? Or when they find you, they're like, oh, our crew member has arrived. So he tells them, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine before men. That is key. Before men. Show it to people. 
let that righteousness be seen. I'm not talking about you coming and bragging before people know. But by your works, he's saying by your works. And those works are good works. You help the needy. You feed the hungry. You show the love. You care. You do generous acts. And not in pretentious manner, but in the way that honors God. Because we don't do it to show off. No. You do it genuinely. Because God will tell the heart. Yeah, if if something is not genuine, it will be seen. And God is the first to know that. Yeah, so he's saying, let your good works be seen before men. Let, let that life that you live be seen. Let men see it and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The things that are done in honor of God and people who do not believe, then unbeliever comes out and say, surely there is God in heaven. Surely, the God you serve is alive. Those are statements that are being made because of the acts that have been done by the believers. So let's not get tired of representing Christ. When you've been tortured and you've gone through a terrible state and everybody is expecting you to come back in revenge, come back in the way they do not expect. Not in revenge, but in love. Not in hatred, but in love. And there, they will see and say, we glorify the father of that man. We glorify the father of that lady. Because what we expect is not what we've seen. The works that have preceded what they've gone through, the works that have preceded that which we should expect them to act has not been according to what the world demands. But because of the father they serve, because of the God they serve, we want that God. And people glorify God. There are some things... The same is that I'm mad that uh, sometimes the best sermon you'll ever preach is the way you have lived, the acts that you have done, and the way you live, the way people see you live, that somebody can look at you and say, I want to be a Christian because of you. That's a target that we have, each and every one of us. Verse 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter, all stroke shall pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Jesus is telling his disciples, uh, probably you think I've come to remove that which was given to you in the law. No, I have not. He says, I have not come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish the prophets because the prophets also spoke. Prophets wrote and it's documented about them. He says, I have not come to abolish but to fulfill, to make sure it comes to pass. And he makes a clear statement that until heaven and earth pass away, this shall not be abolished. Uh, Jewish teachers in the history uh, was saying or used to say that one abolished the law by disobeying it. Yeah, the the word abolishing was matched with disobedience. If you disobey the law, then you have abolished the law. And Jesus here is saying that I have not come to disobey the law. If we can use it in the context of the Jewish teachers, I have not come to remove it in the context that we may know the word uh, abolish. But to them, also disobedience yeah, would apply 
to this word. So he says, I've not come to abolish, I've not come to remove it, if we may understand it in the plain English, or even in their understanding and how they would consider it through the Jews, I have not come to disobey the law. Of course, when you're talking about this, you're talking about the moral law. Jesus is saying, I've not come to say now that you can lie or that you can commit adultery because that's what uh, the law of Moses was talking about here. He says, I've not come to remove that fact that you should honor your father and mother. No, I've not come to remove that. I've not come to remove the fact that you should um, um, trust in the Lord and serve God only, one and only God. He says, I've not come to remove that. I've not come to allow you to covet your neighbor's property. No. As per the law of Moses, as per what the law says, that I have come to also fulfill. I've come to give love, to ensure that you love. That's what Christ is saying. So now here, when they're talking about abolishing the law, the Jewish teachers, if you disobey the law, they would indeed say that you have abolished it because that was rejection of the authority of the law. And uh, such rebellion uh, against the law, as opposed to particular sins, would uh, sometimes call for either social expulsion from the Jewish community or even spiritual expulsion from the Jewish community. And the charge of openly persuading others that the law was no longer in force would even be worse. If you come out and you say that the law does not exist, then you are bringing trouble in the Jewish community. Jesus here comes and does not tamper with that. He's not saying that uh, I'm abolishing it, no. He's saying I'm fulfilling it, otherwise it would be taken in such a way. And Jesus opposed not this law. He did not oppose the law, but he was speaking about, about the interpretation. Sometimes, you know, the law was interpreted in a manner that was not right. So that illegitimate interpretation of the law uh, and the, the strict the regulations that it was stressing more than the character is what Jesus was practically coming to dislodge. For him, he was, you know, there were very keen and particular things that the law would talk about. You remember the case of the, of the woman who had committed adultery, and then they wanted to stone her to death. And those now are the consequences or the regulations or the interpretations that were given to the law that would be done better. And Jesus says, who has not done that be the first to kill, yeah, or to stone her. And He's not saying that adultery is good, no, but he's bringing another concept, another aspect to look at this issue, yeah, and that that is where Jesus comes in now for the ways that might differ with how the Jewish teachers were handling the issues of the law and how Jesus uh, practically comes to handle. He does not acquit, he does not uh, accept, he does not support adultery in this case of this woman, but he's saying, there's another face to look at, the face of love. Stop and don't do that again. I'm not saying go back and practice this adultery. No, don't do it again. But also, you deserve forgiveness. That's what Jesus was bringing. So for him, he's not coming to abolish it. And the people need to know that with him. And uh, with all these things that are given out here, he is practically talking about God's moral law and god's moral law is in force everywhere and at all times yeah because it's a reflection 
of his very being. It's the reflection of God himself. This moral law does not change and it cannot be changed. It remains. When you get back and read for that which God uh, commands of his people, for that which God tells them to do, and he is being specific here, they have to do it. He's not saying that I've come to abolish that which Moses gave. For I truly say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, none the smallest letter shall pass from the law. He says, this is remaining. I've not come to, to remove it. Yeah, And here in some cases, the smallest letter, what is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet is referred to as the Yod. And uh, later on, the rabbis told the story that when God changed Sarah's name to Sarah, the Yod was removed. Yeah, And that the Yod complained. Yeah, It complained to God for generations until he reinserted it. Uh, and this time he did it in Joshua's name. Of course, those are all stories that are told by the Jews in their generations. And in another story also, uh, the yod that it was, it protested that King Solomon was trying to approach it from the Bible. Those are things, of course, that they say we do not have anything concrete to talk about them. But that's in their culture and how they might uh, believe that. But Jewish teachers used illustrations like these. Uh, to make a point that the law was sacred, yeah, and uh, one could not regard any part of it as too small to be worth keeping. That's why they come out with all these stories about the Yod and the King Solomon and Sarah. But just like they believed that, don't touch it. Jesus says he have not come to touch it. It will remain. And he says whoever then annuls one of the list of these commandments, and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We fear to teach about obedience. We fear to teach about commandments because we feel people will be angry. People will uh, hate <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the belief. But friends, Jesus here is clear. He says, whoever teaches these, that's the mandate we have to teach the commandments of God to teach about the things of God, to teach about the precepts of God, to ensure that people know about God, to ensure that people understand what God is talking and what he desires of us. And he says, the person who announces the list of his commandments and teaches others to do that will be called the list of the kingdom of God. What is our teaching out there? Are we telling people it's okay, you go on and sin, go on and do whatever you want, it's okay to lie, it's okay to do that, you're under the grace. It says you will be the least among the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He's talking to disciples here and he's telling them, until your righteousness is above that of the scribes and Pharisees, you know, this was the, the, the lot, the spiritual lot of the Jews at this point. And they would portray a righteousness that is physical, yet within their hearts there is nothing. Portrayal of things that are physical and showing the entire world that you are spiritual, yet within your heart you are not. Jesus says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. If we are talking character, then it better be genuine. 
If we are talking Christ, then he better be in our lives. If we are talking righteousness, then it better be that genuine righteousness. That you stand and indeed heaven will attest to it that you are a righteous person. And that Jesus tells them, unless you are better than these Pharisees who show it on top, but within their hearts they are rotting, they are planning schemes, they are plotting ways of destruction, they are plotting of how to steal money, then you will not inherit eternal life. It's not about what we just do physically because we've talked about the, the works that we are going to go and put up a show and do works yet internally. We are liars, we are murderers, we, we are people who hate, who are plotting schemes against others that God does not recognize because he sees the depth of our hearts and we shall be able to answer for that because he promises that it's only those who are right who shall inherit Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Lord of heaven, you speak to us and we pray that you help us walk with you to do your will, to stand for your ways at all times. We love you and we exhort you in Jesus' my name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our study today. We believe that the world of God is alive and new each day. Open your heart and let God speak to you. You can also access our teachings through our Podbean channel or reach us through our website, bibleindepth.com. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Join us every weekday at midnight for the live prayer hour on the Bible In-Depth Network prayer room. Please join in via radio or through our app and seek the Lord. He will answer your prayer. Join us every morning at 7 a.m. for our morning devotion through the Bible from Monday till Friday. We are always live on air in prayer and studying scripture with Alex Sevaiga. Please join us every morning and start your day in the presence of God and learning His Word.